0: All right, so the idea here is it's the 10th year of the best podcast in baseball, and today we're recording the 10th and episode of the 10th year, and that means, here's the plan, there can be only one guest for the 10th episode of the 10th year. We're going back in time to the very beginning of BPIB, and that means inviting an old friend. Are you ready to go?
1: I am absolutely ready to go.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Best Podcast in Baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Thrilled today for the 10 at 10. There's a throwback reference. (laughs) To to bring back to the Best Podcast in Baseball, the man who helped invent it, the first host of it, Bernie Miklas. Bernie, how are you doing?
1: Derek, I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to do this. Uh, I've told you text message or whatever, you know, I, uh, even though you and I talk and you, you, you're kind enough to come on my radio show. Um, I miss you. I miss working with you. You know, I, I really do. The greatest part of, um, my years at the post-dispatch and I think people on the outside will understand this. Of course, we covered huge events, great, great, great Cardinals baseball and great, great, great players. But the most fun part about it and most satisfying part about it was just being able to work with you and Rick Hummel and Joe Strauss and Brian Burwell and others. Really, uh, you miss that camaraderie. You really do. There's no replacement for it. So this was wonderful to get this invitation from you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean this takes us back to what the first episode was our attempt. We didn't really have the right equipment, I remember. Um, or we did or no, we had the right equipment. We didn't quite know how to use it, right? And we were trying to figure it out up in your attic, right? I mean that that's where this yeah. all began. I had just come back from a road trip and we we're like, well, this podcast thing could really work out. You had a successful radio career. I had attempted to be on radio and probably uh Probably got demoted to double A, um, but you know it was a good idea to have like longer. Com- that's what we talked about. Is we just were missing the fact that we could have longer conversations in the segmented world of teas topic commercial teas topic commercial, and the the podcast gave us a chance to kind
1: of talk ball like we would in the press box. Yeah, that's exactly right, and. The technology has come a long way. I mean, yeah, you're. I, I was smiling as you referred to the very, uh, the very early um, BPI bees, best podcasts, and ba- there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here at my home office desk, and we did quite a few here, and you know, I try to put these things together using you know some primitive, uh, primitive app. And, uh, you know, it, it it was an adventure, let's put it that way. And it was much more difficult than it is now. It's so easy now, you know, so it's, uh, it's fun. It's problem-free, knock on wood.
0: Bernie, one of the loudest voices St. Louis sports coverage has ever had, now has his own daily show at 590 The Fan here in St. Louis. Of course, you can find it online, streaming there. Hosts the podcast Seeing Red with Will Leach, not that I'm jealous, and also writes for Scoops with Danny Mac, so you're still a triple threat as always, and still writing a bunch and writing great depth about the Cardinals. What are some opening thoughts about this season so far They're They're in the race. They are, um, I mean, they, they play well, I think, overall. They have a yes. surprise offense, um, but they have a pitching staff that suggests it needs help to truly contend.
1: He, you know – I'm glad to be having a conversation with you for many reasons, but one of those reasons is I'm hoping you can fill me in on something. I can't put my finger on it, and here's what I'm talking about, okay? You look at the Cardinals, and they are in the – I'll just limit it to the National League. They're second in run differential to the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. Um, You look at them in terms of runs per game, they are fourth in the NL. If you look at them in terms of OPS plus their first or second in the NL, uh, runs allowed per game, even with the pitching problems they've had, they're third in the NL. So you have an incredible uh, run differential. You're a you're a top, you know, top three, top four team in runs scored per game and runs allowed per game. And yet it, it seems to me they haven't gotten as many wins out of that as they should. And you know, if you go with the the, the underlying factors, like what their record should be, you know, they, I, I think it's it. I think it's something like. Uh, uh, let me let me find this. That's always I'm always bad. It should be four. The record should be according to Baseball Reference. Oh, the Pythagorean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. They should be forty six and thirty two. Now I'm not saying that to rip them or the manager or the pitching coach or the batting coach. I'm just saying I can't figure that out because the record, I think, should be better. Do you agree?
0: I think their record should be better. But I I wonder if maybe this topic and the one I was going to ask you next are related. Um, You know, some of those runs, they've been in top heavy or lopsided, I guess, better word lopsided wins, right? The ones where Molina and Pujols are pitching. Um, you know those weren't losses that brought those guys to the mound; those were routes that got them to the mound. And so that tilts it a little bit, especially some a couple of those are really huge run differential games. Um, and but you figure that over time it'll even out. And what I wanted to ask you is, you know, the Cardinals won two against the Marlins, and then go up against Sandy Alcantara, take a lead into the ninth inning. Sandy Alcantara greets them there, and he holds you know the the Cardinals off essentially to let his team catch up and surpass the Cardinals to avoid a sweep. The Cardinals are 2-6 in, in games when they have a chance to sweep a series. Is that a fluke? Is that just baseball? Or is that maybe a sign of why they don't have the record that you'd expect? Because they have these moments where they can put the pedal down and they just step off of it.
1: Th- that's another uh bit of an unsolved mystery with the Cardinals. And uh Will Leach and I have talked about it quite a bit. I I've gotten obsessed over it actually. And I would even include those four game series with the Brewers or yeah, those four game series with the Brewers where they could have won all three, you know, three games to one. Oh,
0: right. Three of four, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but they in-, in each case they lost the final game. And um most, I would say that if I had to, if I had to go along with one or pick one, I would say it's it's just that baseball randomness we all know and love mm-hmm. and sometimes are baffled by. But um, you know, because it, I I want to holler like lack of urgency, lack of urgency, lack of urgency. but, but that also implies some type of competitive character deficiency. And I don't know that, I, that that's fair. When you look at cold Schmidt and Arenado and so many others I could name, mm, I don't Carlson. think they're, yeah, I don't think they're mailing anything in. So, uh, will Leach had a theory. If you don't mind me sharing it briefly. Um,
0: it's,
1: it, it's like, he, he thinks that somehow the front office's lack of aggressiveness and just sort of this perception that it's like, okay, all we have to do is get in the playoffs. We'll be fine. That sort that sort of seeps into the the field level. I've, I'm intrigued by that, and and even Will said I'm not sure that I buy it, but I wonder about it, and and I'm like, yeah, I, it's an interesting theory. So we're all trying it to seems find
0: into the clubhouse. To be honest, like through right. the years, if it does, then it is subconsciously because yeah, you, know, you hear a lot from the players. I mean, the, look, the you know the front office talks about winning the division, winning the division, winning the division. Um, you know the players have a little bit of a different kind of uh, caliper. I think is the right word, phrase. Where they good like, word, good word. Yeah, where they're like, how does a win today make us better for the World Series? I hear a lot about that from the guys who are setting the tone. Like you know, and, and they 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 look at okay, got to win today's game. Don't move on to the next one. But they do look within games to like, how do we get better today, or what did we find out today in this loss or in this win? that makes it better to win a World Series later. You know, you, you hear some of that subtly from Paul Goldschmidt. You certainly hear that when Molina's around. Um, you know, they would have looked at yesterday's game twofold. One, they saw, you know, and they, they talked about this. They saw Polante go head-to-head with one of the best pitchers in the National League, and they missed a chance to win a, a low-scoring game when runs were at a premium, two of them scored on a sacrifice fly, another one scored on a double play. There just wasn't a lot of offense in that game, and they missed a chance to steal a win. That's a that's a kind of game that that costs you in October, but Palante is the kind of performance that helps you in October. So yeah, that's great. You kind right. of heard about that. We heard it through that lens.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think the one last night relative to the others uh, on your list and out, you know, my list of keeping tabs of this. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. This, this was just – this. my goodness, it's the first time, you know, Ryan Helsley had a, a hiccup. He threw a he threw a fastball that was uh, not where he wanted it to go, and, and Garcia pounced on it. So th- that one's easy to understand. I mean, that was a tough loss for them, but that was easy to understand. They actually did so many things well – Mm-hmm. Considering considering that it was Alcantara and considering that it would be a low-scoring game like that, as you alluded to. First time all year, the guy at the end of the game, Helsley, made a bad pitch and all of a sudden the ballpark silent. I mean, it was kind of stunning, but I can at least understand that. That's baseball, right?
0: I, I'm going to go out on a limb burning and suggest that the offense is Good. I know people will push back on that. I know people will get frustrated with that. I know some folks see, a, you know, like a game with 10 strikeouts and go, this team strikes out too much. Well, really, right. they're really low when it comes to strikeout rate. I mean, they're they're among the league leaders in, you know, in runs scored. They're among the lead leaders in on-base percentage. And they're among, you know, the lead leaders when it comes to having a lowest strikeout. Where they where they do struggle offensively is um, soft contact and pop-ups. Um, that is something yeah. that they do more often than anyone. Um, you can make the argument, though, that that at least keeps them off the ground when it comes to double plays. So, good offense. I'll go way out on them and say that they have a good offense. As advertised, they have met the promise that the manager said in spring training that they would have a good and diverse offense. And they're doing it without the obvious power threats beyond, say, a Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado. They They have a lot going for them offensively. I think what's held them back is this middle kind of chewy nugget of every game where the starter doesn't go deep enough and the bullpen late-inning guys either aren't available or aren't coming in in that spot. I think that's kind of been the region of trouble. And until they get starters to go deeper, like a Palante who's got back-to-back quality starts, or they get a guy like um, Fernandez to become that middle kind of reliever, the chase reliever, their, 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 their record's going to lag behind what it should be.
1: No, I, I agree. And there, there's encouragement on that front because of um, you know, those middle innings or those chase relievers. I like that term. Um, There's a changing of the guard and, Mm -hmm. And I think that that bodes well for the Cardinals. You know, we've all kicked some of those relievers around. Everyone knows who we're talking about. But, you know, now all of a sudden you can give the ball to Junior Fernandez instead of, you know, say Nick Whitgrin, or you can give the ball to Zach Thompson in a tight spot uh, compared to, um, you know, TJ McFarland. You can you, – Jordan Hicks is back pre- assume, presuming he's going to pitch fine. Give the ball to him instead of Verhagen, or you, you for that matter, you give the ball to Oviedo instead mm-hmm. of a Verhagen. I mean, all, all of a sudden, um, that looks a lot, a lot more uh, rigid as far as the defense in those middle innings. Um, because I had a, I came up with a stat that's now outdated by two or three days, but Verhagen and McFarlane and Whitgren uh, at the beginning of the week. They had allowed 46% of the earned runs scored against the Cardinals' bullpen. That's a st- staggering number. Now yeah, all of a sudden, that that percentage with this changing of the guard, uh, that percentage is going to go way down. I, I would bet a lot of money on that. It's going to go way down.
0: So the con- thinking was that eventually they'd get some of the starters back and Palante would go back into that role. How do you remove him from the rotation at this
1: point? You can't. My, my only co- i have only one concern about him he seems to have everything it's the makeup the the competitive fire he's smart he's obviously got talent my only concern is innings uh in terms of the will he will yeah will he have a lot will he have enough left in the tank to to be strong between now and the end of the season to remain strong. He just hasn't pitched uh, – I think the, the only time he's pitched over 100 innings was back in college, you know, mm-hmm. in a season. So I, that's kind of an X factor, and I don't think we know the answer to that yet. We, I don't think we can even really guess anything uh, in an enlightened way with that. But that's one thing – that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause.
0: He spoke about that a little bit, talking about his conversation with Dakota Hudson last year when Hudson was on a rehab assignment in A, and I wrote a bit about this at the in the paper – uh, STLtoday.com, where Hudson was talking about the the goal of a starter is to get deep into games. And, you know, Palante was telling us that he'd always thought that it was to put up zeros. And if you got five shutout innings, bully for you as a starter. And he said the way Hudson described just kind of changed his mentality. And he looked back and he goes, wow, I didn't get deep into games in high school. I didn't get deep into games in college. I'm not getting deep into, what, 17 of his 21 starts for A were five innings or less. You know, he goes, I'm not getting deep into games in the majors. I'm I'm thinking wrong, and I I got stuff to do it right. So I I do wonder if maybe even that, like, little toggle of mentality also gives us a a bit of an unknown when it comes to pitching. Because, you know, he can be efficient and all of a sudden rack up some innings almost quietly, kind of like he did in that game. I mean, you look at Sandy Alcantara with 17 ground ball alts and just a just complete in command that game, just a remarkable game for him, another in a string of remarkable games, 10 consecutive of seven or more innings. And yet every step of the way there was Palante, and it wasn't like he had these like mushroom cloud innings where they would just get away from him. Um, You know, the three guys on base, two of them were ground balls, and then he got the double play to get out of it. So I wonder if there's maybe something we don't know about his innings ability because of that efficiency.
1: Well, I, I think it's a great point. And as you were speaking to that, I uh, clicked on fan graphs to see what his ground ball rate is, and it's outstanding. So, you know, when you have a, basically a 65% ground ball rate, that's a staggering number. Um, that's, gonna, that's a big, big tool to have to make sure uh, you're going to be efficient and you're going to be able to get deeper into games without throwing so many pitches. So if he can keep that up, then that could be. I sound a little dramatic here. That could be sort of a game changer. About mm-hmm. okay, is he going to run out of gas? Well, not if he's getting a lot of ground balls and not throwing too many pitches than he should in a start. And he's getting through six, maybe getting through seven more than we assume. So, yeah, that's a that's another sign that's a positive sign. That ground ball rate could be huge in this whole uh, his whole development or the way he navigates through the season.
0: Let me. I hope I asked this question right. I want to look at yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday, the off day. So I want to ask you about the the series finale of of Miami through the lineup. They had a rookie at leadoff playing second base. Then you have Carlson Goldschmidt, Arnado. Carlson's still relatively young in his career. You have a rookie in left field in Yepes, New Barr, pretty much a rookie in right field. Connor Cable getting his first major league start at DH. And then they could have had Herrera at catcher, but they had Kisner batting ninth. Does that look to you like a lineup of a team that expects to win the division, or is this a rebuilding team?
1: I would say based on how they've performed, that they are absolutely a plus in the goal of winning the division. Like you look at Milwaukee – and although, by the way, just as a side note, it's so relevant though. Milwaukee's just going absolutely bananas, hitting home yeah. runs. And you know, it's just crazy. I mean, they're they're nine and three in their last twelve games. They've hit twenty four home runs. They had four yesterday. Anyway,
0: it's all to bunches after all those I, concerns about the offense. Yeah,
1: and I think Milwaukee's offense is that. I, yeah. I mean, I I think that's what they're going to have to rely on, but. They have not got the infusion of young talent and impactful talent. I mean really impactful talent. They they have not had that. They don't have that and they won't have that this year. The Cardinals have it in abundance. And we talked we opened this by talking about how we both agree that this offense is actually really good. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that Yepes and Donovan and Gorman and we can name some others, but those are the big three that where would the offense be without what they've been able to do, especially with O'Neill not being as big a factor because of injuries? And um, some other things we can mention. I mean, I, I think they've made a huge difference. So, and it's not because it, it's a uh, Baltimore Orioles or Pittsburgh Pirates situation. You know, these guys have just made the team flat out better. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty profound um, th- to see this every day.
0: Yeah, that's that's what strikes me is, you know, they they're among the leaders in having major league debuts and they are among the leaders having started the season with only one true never been in the big leagues rookie on the on the opening roster, on the 20 man eight man roster. And that's Palante. And since then, they've had this just string of guys make their debuts. And the team closest to them is Oakland, which has openly acknowledged that it's (laughs) rebuilding. And I've really been struck by the fact, like, well, why? Like, the Cardinals aren't getting any grace. They're using all these rookies, and they're expected to win. So why is that? I mean, why can they have a roster that looks like it's just Memphis upgraded, and yet the demands be the same as they were when they opened the season with a varsity group? And, And what does that say about, A, the mentality here, when viewing the Cardinals and two about how they get players ready to get up here and not learn the job, but compete. That's, that's, that's something that other teams seem not to demand from their young players.
1: No, that's right. I think it's a real credit. Well, first of all, the, the one thing, and I'll speak for myself only here, you know, the one thing that, and i take pride in trying to be thorough and understanding how why things are going the way they are but uh, i haven't i haven't given the cardinals nearly enough credit for their drafting and player development i mean it is a constant it's it's kind of just uh, stunning that they they can be so good at this for so long especially considering where they draft you know they're not drafted in the top 10 right Mm -hmm. And and even after getting, you know, sanctioned and losing some draft picks, they're still bringing in players. I mean, you know, so it's they're they're really terrific. I mean, they draft much better than a lot of teams that are in the top 10 a lot, you know, Um, and that's that's so important to their success. Now, we can argue about, you know, or debate, not you and I, but just in general. Uh, whether they need to supplement that homegrown talent with a little more ambition. That's a legitimate thing to talk about, but absolutely. Right. And, and that's sort of like, Oh, wait a minute, you guys, you, you have a gift. You're, you're highly skilled at doing this. Um, drafting and developing young talent in ways that few organizations can match. And it's like, man, add to it, add to it. So that, that gets a little frustrating, but I, I think it's a credit to also just the way the people in the farm system, um, you know, teach and instruct and lead these guys. And you, you mentioned it in your chat chat this week, you know, for all the, all the crap that Jeff Albert takes, um, I, I would ask the fans who think he's, you know, Satan or whatever. Um, what, what, why, why do you think some some of these guys, if not all of these guys, have come to the big leagues so prepared in terms of a hitting approach? I mean, Albert put that program in. He put that system in. Mm-hmm. It's in a uniform system, you know? And I, I don't – I mean, I can't say for sure that these guys would have done it without that program being in place. But I got to believe it's enhanced their probability of early success in the big leagues, uh, and they're very consistent. They, you know, they've all shown that they can adjust and adjust quickly. So it, it, that uniform approach is paying off, and I think the instruction is paying off. And then you just have very, uh, very keen ability to evaluate talent before you draft guys. I mean, it's a really, it, it's a really bountiful thing they have gone there,
0: and they have some luck. You know, the, kind of the yeah. mixture of the two, right? Like yeah. you're trading Matt Adams to the Atlanta Braves and you want to get something in return. You want to you want to get a player in return. And what they did was, well, look at who is performing well at an age far below the average age of his level and who's done it a few times. Oh, this Juan Yapez kid looks like he's doing that. Gosh, he's quite young for that level and he, he's hitting. All right, third baseman. Well, why don't we just take a chance on him? And so they get a guy like him, and then he goes into the Albert School of Hitting or whatever they've set up or want to call it, and changes his swing and goes from a guy who can make contact and have some success at the lower levels to unlocking this power without losing that knack for contact. That's right. a far better hitter. And now they have a prospect, and now they have a DH.
1: No, and, and they also... You know their strikeout rate at the big yeah. league level, and even down below. I mean, they it's they're really real, good. Th- their contact skills are really good. It's right, and and I don't think you've pointed this out there because, of course, I read you faithfully. You've pointed this out that they they really haven't gotten enough credit for where their strikeout rate is, how it's improved at the major league level. I mean, yeah. it's really it's really pretty impressive, and it people. The only time you hear about strikeouts is, uh, you know, as if they strike out 11 times in a game.
0: Yeah, if Corbin Burns strikes them out a bunch as he's yeah. on striking out a bunch of people. Right.
1: But they've, they've done a really or good Nick job. Pivetta,
0: Nick Pavetta who had a great game. Yeah, against he did.
1: Them. He did. So I uh, I'm impressed by the way this is all uh, this, the, the way it's all synchronized and it's leading to more positive results. And they have more talent as you know, and most people know, they have more talent position player talent, well, pitchers too, but position player talent on the way. Um, yeah. Really, really, really exciting position player talent.
0: So all these rookies who have arrived and contributed in this first half of the season, we're almost at the actual halfway point, um, 81 games into the season. Who do you think has staying power, not just for the second half, but really has heightened a look of, of where they belong for the, for the immediate future and next few years for this team? Is there, are there a couple of these guys that have changed that that you think have have staying power?
1: It's a good question. It's a tough question because, you know, number one, you know, I would want to say Gorman because he's got the most natural ability and he's also really, really smart and he Mm -hmm. really works at it. He's got a great hunger to succeed. Mm -hmm. He has also shown the ability to adjust, but we also know that, you know, his, his, uh, the swings and misses, at least in this stage of his career, are going to be higher. Obviously, a lot higher than Donovan and and Yepes, uh, higher than Yepes. And then, then I would say, well, wait a minute. What about Yepes? Look, look at his, um, look at how quickly he made corrections when he went into a mini rut, and look at how quickly he adapts. And just look at that swing, and look at how he hits for power. And he, it just seems to come so naturally. You know, it's a nice quick stroke and everything else. And then you look at Donovan, and he's in an entirely different class. So I don't even know that I can compare him to the others because, you know, uh, I think he's going to be a very, very popular player here. And he, he is already because he's got those old school skills. I mean, he hits the ball the other way. You look at a breakdown of his hits, and it's amazing how many to left, how many to center, how many to right. And he's he's not worried about home runs. He's he's gonna hit them where they ain't. And that's that's one of the old-time baseball expressions. But he does it. And he has excellent contact skills. Uh lately there's been more swing and miss, but generally, you know, it's it's the contact skills are incredibly impressive for a rookie. And I think plate discipline and strike zone judgment, that stuff will always, always be huge in your success as a major hitter because it's a foundation you can absolutely rely on and it'll, it'll sustain you. And so I think he, it's not going to be a power thing. Although doubles are great. You and I have talked about that. Doubles are great, but he's not going to be a home run guy, but man, um, I think the offense is just going to be more consistent than maybe what the other two guys will give you. They'll give you more oomph. Uh, but I think he gives you the day-in, day-out consistency, and there's a place for that, especially, well, the shift will be banned at some point, but you know what I'm talking about. That's a, I don't think that'll bother him either.
0: Where Where's his ultimate position, though? I mean, like we see a lot of what he's brought to the lineup, and he's been such a huge factor in lengthening the lineup, regardless of yeah. where he hits, but where, like, you see Gorman and you go, okay, yep, he's going to be the second baseman of the future and you know provide power there um with Donovan it's less clear like where does he play
1: I'm gonna take the easy way out here but I I also think it's the best answer is that I I wouldn't change a thing um Mm. because I mean if you if you go by the actual performance so far it depends on what metric you want to look at but defensive run saved you know he's been really good at third base he's been average or a tick below average at every other place he's played and given the versatility the trade-off there the flexibility that it gives a manager who absolutely uh, wants to have a uh, a flexible flexible group of position players so to give himself matchups and late inning moves and things like that platoon stuff you know whatever deficiencies Donovan has defensively, at least to this point, it could change, but at least to this point, there's nothing glaring there to where you say, yeah, you just can't play that guy at that spot. You know, I, Mm. I think it's, I think the trade off is worth it. At least again, as we sit here today, it has been.
0: Isn't it interesting that the Cardinals start spring training intent on clearing the way, for at-bats, for a guy like Newt Barr, for a guy like Yepes, and even talking about how that could be the left-right combination for the new position of designated hitter. Then by the end of spring, they've signed Corey Dickerson and Albert Pujols to be the left-right combo at DH. And here you are, the start of July, and it's Brendan Donovan and
1: Yepes who might be the left-right future of DH? It could be. Right. You know, and if Marmol's going to be the manager for a long time, and I assume he will, uh, he, you know, the way he the way he likes to put Arenado in there, Goldie in there. He'll run some other guys in there to get, as you always allude to, get them off their feet. Mm-hmm. They don't have to play the field. Um, so he he uses the DH spot uh, like a little differently than I expected. And that's good the way he's done it. But um, yeah, I, I I think that uh, either one of those guys, Yepes in particular, because he can hit right-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you got to be so worried about um, platoon splits there. Great you know, point. if he if he keeps this up, I could see Yepes being, uh, you know, logging most of the at bats again if he can sustain what he's been doing. I, I could see him logging most of the at-bats at bats uh, at at DH, and. Uh-huh. That's probably a good thing because, you know, God love him, but he's a little more defensively challenged than I think Donovan is.
0: Hmm. I, I'm I'm fascinated by Yepez's success against Good. Yeah. Team. Had only two hits. You know, the Cardinals only had two hits against Corbin Burns. He had both of them. Right. Doubles against Sandy Alcantara. You look at Logan Webb, a couple hits against him. Chris Bassett with the Mets. The Cardinals have had their problems with him this season in two starts. And look at that. Yepes has two of the hits against him. I think two of the 11 hits while others have struck out a bunch um, or, you know, had problems with him. I mean, it, it, he hits good, not just like you said, right handers, but he hits good right handers.
1: Yeah, he, he does. And uh, he's one of their better hitters against better pitchers. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. He really is. Yeah. And cause I, I keep track of that a little bit and, I, the last time I checked, he's done really well against um, you know pitchers that have that ERA of three three point five zero or less. You know, um, maybe that's changed a little bit, but I doubt it. He, no, he's um, he's really he's really special, and I don't think there is anything flukish about this because again, he's shown the ability to say, "Okay, I know what I am doing wrong here." If he gets good advice, he implements it. There is not a bullheadedness about him, and I think that's important
0: what have you been your opening sense of libertor?
1: You know, first of all, like, like that start in particular against Milwaukee was terrific. It's just terrific. That Saturday afternoon game. And he had, uh, he had another one like that. Um, I don't think the consistency is going to be there. And I can't say that I'm surprised by that because even at AAA, you know, he, uh, he got hit pretty well, pretty hard by right-handed hitters. And that's to me, the the thing that makes him uh, an, an unfinished product, right? Uh, he's going to get there. I'm a little surprised that they haven't figured out a way for him to do, be more effective at taming right-handed batters, but
0: hmm.
1: that's kind of the hole in his game. You know, and he does have that kind of, you know, his delivery, I don't know how to explain it because it's, you know, he's sort of all over the place. And so I, I think that that's going to be, uh, you know, something as he goes along that Will, uh, will surface and have to be dealt with from time to time as far as, like, kind of smoothing him out. So I don't think he's a finished product, but I think the talent's there. I wish I knew how soon he would be a finished product, but
0: hmm.
1: look, this is hardly unusual. You know, he's a very young guy still, and he hasn't really pitched all that much. But when he's he's on, I mean, you can see the talent. You can see the potential. You can see what he can become, and that, that right there is exciting, and it's a reason to give him an opportunity, uh, you know, if you don't have a clearly better alternative because he's a talented guy and he's going to be a big part of your future.
0: We've talked about how Palante's kind of pushed his way into perhaps sticking in the rotation and certainly giving them a new view of what he could be for the second half of the season and really part of their planning going into next season. Talked about Donovan, Yepes, Libertor, who's going to get a start against Philadelphia. I think this. I think he still qualifies as a young player. He's not yet arbitration eligible, so I think that still qualifies. Um, but my might I offer somebody who I think maybe has changed his place with the organization most this season, and that's Tommy Edmond.
1: He's done a really good job. Um, really good job in improving against you know right-handed pitchers, which was something that was going yeah. to be that could have limited him going forward if it wasn't if he didn't make those improvements, but he's doing it. He's a heck of a player. He really is.
0: And he's played well at shortstop. Have have, you, you, you agree with that?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I was one of the uh, nervous people about that, but he's, eased those concerns. Um, They may have to give him a, you know, a more, maybe more days off, um, (laughs) but, but, you know, just to, just to, you know, make sure he doesn't get too, too worn down or whatever, but no, he's a, he's a Marvel. He really is. I love watching this guy play defense.
0: I I mean, there's something about the arm there, like longevity, right? Like just the wear and tear of the arm. We saw David Eckstein work to maintain that arm strength and positioning and all that stuff if we go in the wayback machine. We also remember, you know, when Aaron Miles was asked to play a lot of shortstop and how that caught up with him uh, eventually. You know, just like the grind of that position without the the arm strength there to pull it off. You know, I'm really intrigued to see what – Tommy Edmond does. He 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 has been a superb defensive player. It's interesting that he may not win a second consecutive Gold Glove at second base because the Cardinals need him to play shortstop, and he would win whatever would be a middle infield Gold Glove if they had such a thing. But maybe he's the guy who brings that back to the conversation. Right, this notion that maybe there's a utility Gold Glove that should be awarded because you got these guys bouncing between them and being exceptional at both.
1: Yeah. I like that idea. I'm, I'm all, I'm all in favor of that. Definitely. So
0: so what does this team need, Bernie? What is this team missing? What is it? What is it missing? Is it missing a healthy Jack Flaherty? Is it missing Flaherty and Mats? Is it missing something that's not on the roster? What, what's it, why, what does it need to do to, capitalize on the offense it has and the the contributions of the young players it has to turn all that into a team that's not just in the race, but leading the race?
1: Well, I'm going to give the predictable uh, response, but I think it's accurate. I, I, I think we're all still, um, if, if we were going to have um, anxiety about this, I, I, I don't trust their starting pitching. And uh, mm-hmm. it's actually been better, all things considered it's been better than it, than it should have been probably, but you know, I don't trust Dakota Hudson to be able to pitch deep into games consistently. Um, I I almost look at, and look, I, I, who doesn't love Palante? He's been terrific, but he still, you know, has to do this longer to be, you know, fully established. He's, he's making progress to that. And that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume Mats is going to be fine, but, you can trust Wainwright. You can trust Michaelis. My trust factor with all the other guys isn't quite there, um, and i I would just I would just like to see them fortify that that rotation by, you know, bringing in someone that can supply innings and and someone that's uh, I, I, look I I don't expect them to go get a, a top level starter, but but I think mm-hmm. they can probably do better. as as terrific as uh, Lester and Happ and even Wade LeBlanc were in an emergency situation, I think they can aspire to a, maybe, maybe a, a more ca- all around capable pitcher that can give you innings. So, but I don't know who that is. It can be, go look for a ground ball guy, for example, that will improve here. Like you throw out his numbers wherever he is, but you bring him here with this defense behind him. If he's a ground ball guy, then uh, he'll look much better than he did in his previous place or, or at least better. So I'm still in the. I'm still very much in the starting pitching. Is a need to, that group over there in the corner hollering about that.
0: I mean, it, it always is. Do you think they have the stomach to make that deal? I mean, how long has no. it been since they made an impact addition to the rotation? Is it John Lackey? And it, it is was Lackey. Allen Craig trade.
1: And that was a that was a no brainer, as as we say, because of because of his Red Sox contract. You everyone will remember that. The Red Sox built in some insurance to guard against injuries. In the final year of his deal, he basically made the veterans minimum. The Cardinals were able to pick that up for 2015, and they were able to offload uh, a sunken cost in Alan Craig, Joe Kelly. Yeah, really good pitcher, but the lackey thing was a steal. I mean, they would have made that trade every single time. I, you mm-hmm. know, no, I don't. Um, you know a lot of times you, you get asked this more than I do, but it's a situation like, or people will say, whether it be someone in our business or whatever, fans, whatever. It's like the Cardinals should go get a starting pitcher. Do you think they'll go get a starting pitcher? And it's like, do you, do you think they should go get a starting pitcher? And that's the question. I was messing that up. I apologize. It's all right. It's And and I'm always like, well, you, with all due respect, you've got the wrong question it isn't whether they should it's it's whether they will you know should and will there's a big difference between the two and now that i uh, smoothed that out after messing it up <laughs> i th- i think they should go get a pitcher uh will they i don't have much of a confidence level and especially after what happened last year when they got much better results than we would have anticipated and i think that's probably even true for the cardinals management
0: Oh, absolutely! What,
1: what, yeah, with Lester and Hap, especially Lester was able to do for them. You know, yeah. So, so they're like, "Well, why we don't need to panic?" Remember last year? Well, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to have maybe maybe a, a caliber pitcher that would project better in a postseason rotation, that type of thing. Who that guy is? I don't know. I admit it. I really don't know who that guy is.
0: I kind of want to bring up a radical idea, Bernie, of, you know, last year they made those trades and Moselock said specifically, this was to get by. That's what he said. These are moves to get by. They needed to plug innings. They needed somebody to go out there. And if it was going to wear a seven ERA, they needed them to give them seven innings. Sometimes they just needed to quote, unquote, get by. They made those deals to survive. Right. I'm old fashioned. Why not make a deal to thrive?
1: No, that's right. Um, I I get influenced too much by knowing how they operate and then assuming they won't do something. So it's like, well, why I'm not gonna just like bang my head against the wall, you know, demanding that they do it. They're gonna do what they do, right? But yeah, Yeah. I'm with you. As a matter of principle, absolutely. And I don't know whether their um their their hesitancy comes from the way the Azuna deal worked out. Um but look, they had to make that trade at the time. And, and, you know, they gave up Luke Weaver, who they liked to get in the Goldschmidt deal. But he, unfortunately for him, hasn't been able to stay healthy. You never know how those things are going to turn out. So, But I think I think maybe that has made them a little nervous.
0: Just like the Cecil deal and Fowler deal made them a little nervous about some of the free agent moves that they've made. I mean, you're right. I mean, I, th- I think so much they look at what, where they've had success and it's at the margins, it's been acquiring a Garcia or a McFarland or a Lester and they have an, or, or it's been the whopper of a trade in Aronado and Goldschmidt. Um, but that, that mid range where they, they pay the market value for somebody, or they have to use a talent as the centerpiece and have to make a call between two standout
1: prospect pitchers.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they feel like, you know, I could see where they feel a little bit bitten
1: by those. And so I, I just wonder though, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to be dis- disrespectful here, but I understand there's, you know, they're expressing optimism that Flaherty will pitch again this year, but okay. First of all, I, I'm just got to be skeptical of that as a matter of just principle. But the other thing is, you know, how, even if he is cleared to, to resume activities and all that, I mean, how long before he would actually be pitching in a game and will he be viable? Uh, will we see something of a re- repeat of what he just went through? Um, so I, I have to sort of put him out of my head when I, when I start to think about this as an outsider, um, so that leaves them a, that leaves them a little bit of uh, to me it leaves them a little thin and a little and, and a lot vulnerable if you know they should have another injury or one of the young guys go south. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know so what do they do? I mean, would they do something I'm going to ask you this. Would they do something bold by elevating, you know, Gordon Grisefo uh, or is he yes. someone that Yeah, but in what role? You know, would they look at him as a middle innings guy? Would they bring him up to do that and then move Zach Thompson to the rotation? I mean, what are some of the other ways they can they can go? I want to ask you this. What are some of the other ways they can go to fortify starting pitching or at least have back really good black backup plans without going outside the organization if it comes to that? What, give us an idea of where, where they could go.
0: They, they need one of those pitchers to come back healthy. I mean, let's be, just be blunt about it. They right. need a Mats or a Flaherty to come back and be healthy. Um, they really need one of them to come back and be a five-inning guy for them. That, that's where it's at. Um, you know, if, if they can be more than that, then great. Then that then that helps them out tremendously. But they need um, one of those guys to, to, be, to provide for them in the role. Uh, maybe not expected because Flaherty was expected to lead a rotation – but they just need to be consistent for the rotation beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. Grisefo is the, uh, is a guy who would be in the conversation. Uh, you know, what role he has, it could be, you know, he's got length when he arrives and he gets the start. And if that's where it goes, it goes, or they look at a piggyback and they do pair him with a lefty like a Zach Thompson. Um, but that will mean that another lefty has moved into that role that they now currently have Zach Thompson. Can TJ McFarlane be that guy as he returns from illness? Possibly. Yenesis um, Cabrero, you figure, will be back and be part of that late-inning mix. So that'll help them out. Um, is there somebody else that they can go to in that spot? You know, you could see how they would cobble together. We've already seen how Marmol and Maddox can kind of manipulate a schedule um, and, and find elasticity to cover innings. Uh, You know, so a piggyback wouldn't be that out of the question. It's not ideal. That's not a great way to contend. It's complicated, um, and it puts a heavy emphasis on maintaining that middle reliever, that three-inning guy, to be available every fifth day, which takes him out of the equation for a couple other days when you might need him. Um, So it has this kind of trickle-down effect of putting stress elsewhere on the bullpen. But they could do that. Um, They could do that, but – it seems like adding from the outside and letting the trickle down actually benefit them is is the move. It's just how high do they want to reach? And like you got a Jordan Lyles with the Orioles, right? Is would that be a move that would be like hap? Um and then you got like a Chad Cool with the Rockies. Would that be maybe the sneaky move that would help them?
1: I don't know. Um
0: I mean, none of those are gonna be like they're not gonna get the high Q rating trade, right? No, um, and they're not they may not change what rotation looks like for the playoffs. So is it, are those just another couple get by trades?
1: Well, my initial reaction would be yes, which may not be fair. You know, I have to I have to take a look at what each one of those guys has been doing, you know, but, um, you know, but Chad like for example, he's not much of a ground ball guy. I was looking at him just not, now. And, not at all. So that I wouldn't be real fired up about that. Um, but However, I don't know. Can I
0: say something, though, about yeah. that? Fly balls are okay at Bush Stadium.
1: Yeah. <clears throat>
0: when you look at the fact that he's got a career-low home run per fly ball rate, expected ERA of around four, given how he's pitched at and pitching a lot at Coors Field, and with the outfield that the Cardinals imagine they'll have eventually, Bader, O'Neill, and Carlson, you know, there's an argument to be had, and actually Michael Gersh has, has kind of talked to me about this, the general manager of the Cardinals. He said, we've looked at ground ball rates. We think that's where the elite defense is. But We also have to take into account that every so often, like our ballpark helps with a fly ball pitcher too. It's just about where they start in the division that you take into account. But we could maximize that because right now you got a lot of speed and a lot of ability and a lot, a lot of coverage in the outfield that if it's on a short-term thing. You know, it might be able to 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 get help from that pitcher, and he might even be better.
1: And I, I look at Jordan Lyles and his um, his ground ball rate's okay. He does give up fly balls, and he's got a pretty high slugging percentage against them. But I don't know what to read into that because obviously I haven't watched his starts. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I think just bring they him should... up as a guy, like yeah, a guy who I happy. right. I, and I just think you know there is a. Um, there's a middle ground. There's a middle area there between Frankie Montas and, um, you know, some of these other guys. You sort of take a flyer on, you know. Right. Um, th- I'd like to see them land somewhere in the middle. No, by the way, I'd like to see them land higher. But again, this is me saying what I think they'll do and what's re what's something that would be not crazy to expect, you know. And I think yeah. I, I, there's got to be a middle area solution there. Again, if they're not if they're not in, interested in maybe overpaying for Frankie Montas because I think the price on him is going to be crazy high.
0: Well, it's been 10 years since we started this podcast, Bernie, and the Cardinals have not had a championship in that stretch, but they also haven't had a losing season. I Why like kind of pull back and, you know, for this episode here, this 10th episode of the 10th year, maybe look at the 10 years since. And it, have they kind of Settled into a rhythm of being good, never reaching for great, or is that too harsh considering the trade attempts for Azuna, Goldschmidt, and Arenado, and that those were reaches to be great.
1: Well, certainly, yeah, they were, and certainly the last two names on that list, you know, have been have fulfilled. Maybe with Goldschmidt, even exceeded expectations to an extent. Mm -hmm. You know, given his, it's amazing what he's doing. It. Age 34, but that is one of that is one of those questions that um, I wrestle with all the time because I don't sneer at the consistent success they've had. I mean, they've been it's them and the Yankees and the Dodgers uh, since 2000 in terms of making the postseason, winning in the postseason. But as we've all pointed out, they haven't won. Uh, the last time they won an NLCS game was 2014. That's a long time ago. I mean, the Cardinals used to have a lot of postseason success. They don't do it anymore. And to me, I think it's here, – here's what I think is fair and and also correct. Like, I can't – I don't have much tolerance for people that you listen to them blast away wits and the payroll and this and that and this and that. You know, you'd think they were talking about the Pirates. And it's just like, look, will you all just wake up? Come on now. Uh, I think the fair thing to do here is that you, you praise them and you praise them significantly for their consistency in winning. It's, it's, it's just not easy to do the way they've done it. It's very impressive, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's fair to say, look, you, you have done this so very well. And if you just, if you just are more aggressive if you just take that big swing, uh, it'll make you more viable for postseason success. And it's like you have to get over this mental block or this psychological fear or whatever it is. And I know I know they want to be good long term. They want to be really, really good every year. And that's a noble thing. That I don't, I don't poo-poo that. That's look, I grew up with the Baltimore Orioles, okay? And this is one of the reasons why I don't have tolerance for people who just dismiss the success they've had um you know i watch brooks robinson frank robinson jim palmer earl weaver all these great 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 teams and you look at what that franchise has become you you look at just what a what a empty place it's been for a long time now and maybe it's going to get better here soon so i don't take that stuff for granted I, because i know what it's like to watch a team that's great every year and then all of a sudden you know they're down there in in the bottom of the pit for a long time. And it's so, uh, I'm always going to praise their consistency as success, but I do believe it's fair to just say, come on now, you know, make that big move. That'll make you much more viable in the postseason In,
0: in the 10 years since we started this. So much has changed. I mean, I mean, in a way, like the Cardinals are the steadiest thing about it. Um, you know, they're always in the conversation to win the division. They're, they're, you know, they, they haven't made the big splash at the trade deadline. I mean, it's like every year, you know, at least they're the, the consistent one in the conversation. And meanwhile, um, how we cover baseball has changed, you know, yeah. in recent weeks, we've had earlier deadlines. So we're trying to scramble to find a way to make sure that game stories get to the readers. We had a day this week where that didn't happen because the deadline got moved up so much and, you know the the change to immediacy, the change to newsletters, the expansion of subscription services to you know like the athletic and other places um, into the in into the kind of the ecosystem for competition, um, and the game on the field has changed. Uh, you think back to eleven and the style of play that was you know in the game at that time. Uh, you know we've had the emergence of Shohei Otani, a once in a lifetime kind of player. Um, who stands out and great athleticism, great, uh, you know, velocity. Uh, The game may never have had this much talent in it, Bernie, but it also may never have been this hard to hit. And I I just wondered from your perspective, like what to you is a concerning trend in baseball in the last 10 years? And what to you is an encouraging trend?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, oh boy, that's a lot there. Um, I, I'm like everyone else. I'm sick. I'm really, really bored with the pace of play and, um, have actually sort of gotten angry about it. Uh, even when it's a Cardinals pitcher that's taken forever, you know, I just, I have, I just can't take it. I'm just so tired of that. Um, and I know that's a very commonly held complaint. So, I mean, it's me and a, you and a legion of people. Um, and I'm looking forward to the pitch clock, very much so. Um, I, I Listen, I believe very much in advanced metrics, so I'm not going to uh, be a hypocrite and condemn advanced metrics, but I do believe, and I think Brendan Donovan is an example of this, uh, I hope we see more players like him. Uh, I'm encouraged by him. I'm encouraged by so many great, young, talented players, but I also think that, The game's got to make sure to leave room for people that have his skill set because that skill set works, especially if you have the power hitters, uh, the launch angle guys, and the exit velocity guys. If you have enough of those guys in your lineup, um, let's diversify the approach offensively. Let's make sure that there's a couple of guys in your lineup that get on base at a high level and see a shift and say, oh, that's all right. I'll just – I'll get a pitch here and just line at the left field as a left-handed batter. No problem. Um, I want to see more players like that in the game. I, I'm not, tr- I don't want to turn the clock back. I just think that the guys like that need to have more. Um, if, if if they've developed into those kind of hitters, first of all, I don't know how many of those guys are, but, but I want to see more Brendan Brendan Donovan types in baseball, because I think it'll be good for the game. Look at how entertaining he is. Look at how fans love this guy. Look at, you know um even even some of the the broadcasting from out of market of, about him mm. uh he people marvel at him because he's almost a freak because it's like well wait a minute guys don't they don't hit like this anymore like where did he come from i i want to see more of that and i don't know i don't think that exactly answers your question but that's it about does. the best i can do you know
0: no that that you gave me us uh like an answer for both like you know, what, what discourages you is the marginalization of maybe the complete hitter in the right. age of launch angles and this discussion right. of doing away with shifts, which I think is a joke. Um, And you are encouraged by the fact that a player like uh Brendan Donovan has a place uh in with the Cardinals and is maybe changing the conversation we see. And there are other players like him out there. I mean, you look at morale, right, for the Cubs, right. Um I, I I think he's fascinating.
1: Oh, I totally um, agree. Yeah, there's another guy. Good I'm, I'm glad you brought him up. Absolutely.
0: You know, and he stands out like that. I, I mean just the athleticism in the game. This is the the contrast for me. The athleticism in the in a game that can have an Otani and a Morrell and a Brendan Donovan and a Nolan Arenado at third base and uh Aaron Judge and a Jose Altuve at opposite ends of the height spectrum. Um, but both share this common ability for athleticism. Right. The, the game has never, I mean, I think you could make a very good case because it's a global game, it's so competitive, and the analytics have made teams so smart with what wins the games, even right. bending the game to its will at times, that there's never been this much athleticism in the game. So why isn't it the most entertaining baseball ever? Why isn't it? That that preoccupies me.
1: I think, uh, I, well, I, I, obviously, pace of the play is a huge, huge deal. And it's a huge negative for baseball. And it all that great talent, if everything's moving in slow mo- motion and it's taking, you know, batters have to feel they have to step out of the box every single pitch and, you know, adjust their gloves every single pitch. And pitchers just take forever, you know, to, to deliver their next pitch. I mean, they're, they're, the, the, the talent is there. The players are there to deliver a lot of action. Mm-hmm. and do do wonderful things, but it just takes so long for it all to unfold. And I and I do think, and this is where I do have a little bit of an old-timey thing, you know, the Cardinals get a lot of singles, and mm-hmm. singles are fun. I, I'll take more singles in the game. Again, I, I think it needs to be balanced out, I, just more balls in play. Singles are not something that should be frowned upon. If you have a whole team of singles hitters, well, yeah. Yeah. but I, I want to just see more diversity of offense because that will lead to more action it it's just simply will if there's more balls in play there's more action uh, and that includes as I just mentioned that includes singles you know you have people on the move. Um, somebody draws a walk someone singles some, the next guy singles there's there's things going on people are running people are moving. So that's what I, I think the, the, the talent is tremendous. I just want to see it diversified a little bit and maybe not get so hung up on certain orthodoxies. Um, and I'm not condemning launch angles or exit velocity. I look at those things all the time. It, it's a big part of evaluating, you know, players, but also to see their potential and also see whether they're capable of hitting for power and things like that. I mean, that's important, but, um, one of the things I like about this year this year's Cardinals team for example, and I know some of it has to do with the ballpark, although they're hitting better at Bush Stadium this year they than are. they did last year they really are yeah you know the Cardinals are pretty far down the list in terms of home runs per game I mm-hmm. mean um, they're not built on well we have to hit home runs or or we're doomed. they're finding a lot of ways to score runs. that's another part about this offense that I think has been overlooked not by you. But I, I mean, in general, fans, yeah. m- a lot of media. T- look at the, look at where they rank in in singles. Look at how they run the bases. I mean, look at they steals. hit a lot of steals. Exactly, extra bases taken. Look at all the doubles that they've hit. They they hit a lot of doubles. This
0: is and a, there double was a ballpark. That's how. Yeah,
1: that's that's right. And there was a time when because you and I. Have fussed about it in in past years, where you look at their doubles count and you're like, you got to be kidding me! Like, yeah, like what? Who, who down there has put a ban on doubles? You know, no
0: kidding. What happened to Alan Craig? Where have you gone, Alan
1: Craig? <laughs> but but look at all the different kinds of ways that they can beat you. And I'm not saying it happens every night, but they're not like the Milwaukee Brewers right now are so overly reliant on home runs that it's gonna it's gonna hurt them long term this year. The Cardinals are not that team. What I like to see more home runs, sure, but they don't need them. And you know, I, I was even looking at some their record when they don't hit a home run. It's not bad, actually. A lot of teams can't claim that. So um, I think the Cardinals, believe it or not, I think the Cardinals are a good example of what we're talking about here. You know, yeah. they're not. They're not so. They don't. They don't cling and grip so hard to one orthodoxy about offense to the point where. If that doesn't work, if you're not hitting the home runs, well, it's like, okay, now what do we do? You know, they're not that team. Great. And point. I like that. And I think that's really, really good about them and they deserve more credit for that.
0: It's a great point. Um, I, I, before I close with a little dollop of nostalgia and the last thing I want to ask you, um, I, I, I like getting in the weeds of baseball with you. I really like getting your thoughts on it. And that, can I tell you the one thing that has me intrigued and also concerned at the same time yes please it's the etch-a-sketch approach to rules that we've seen um you could probably trace it back to what was it 10 or so years ago when teams started spring training with one playoff structure and by the end of spring training there was another playoff berth available to them right but it's really accelerated after the pandemic you have baseball introducing new new ways to enforce rules on sticky substances in the middle of a season. You have this year where the roster changed, but there wasn't a specific date as to when it would change. It just was kind of like, well, today it's you know twenty eight, and then we're gonna reassess, and soon it'll be twenty six, but it won't be a mandatory or a, I'm sorry, a maximum for pitching. That'll come later. We don't know what date. Oh, it's here. Here's the date. Here it is. You know, I I worry that the new CBA with its streamlined and um, expedited way of rule changing. I wonder if baseball is just going to be different on opening day than it is on July 4th and whether or not that's a good thing. In some ways, it allows them to be nimble and responsive to how the game is going, right? That's a good thing. But in some ways, it also, to me, is going to invite some experimentation without actually thinking through the unintended consequences, a la the three batter minimum.
1: Oh, you're right on about that. I I share your um, your concern or fear or you know uh, anxiety over that because uh, Rob Manford is the the Rob Manford culture is is just uh, it's one of the just reeks of desperation that. Uh, instead of taking care of the things that really matter that would really make the game more enjoyable, they're, they're just just all over the map. It's helter skelter. It's just like, well, let's try this now. Let's oh, no. All right. Let's do that. OK, let's have the minor leagues try this. Let's do that. No, th- this is what the kids want. Let's try that. And they just um, they, they just need to exhale and, you know, let the best parts of the game remain untouched. And without trying to gimmick it up all the time, um, you can make changes, fundamental changes, but you got to stick with them. And uh, you can't be bouncing around all, all over the place like this is some pickup uh, basketball game. It's like, oh, well, you were you were on the shirts. Uh, now, hey, now you go to the skins because that guy has to leave to go to work. And then, OK, no, who I don't know who you are, but you play now. You know, yeah. it's not pickup basketball. You know, it, it's not where you're 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 bending the rules, uh, you know, based on what's happening. you Well, we better change this rule. We better change that. I I just, uh, I agree. I think one of the appeals of baseball is that it's, it's a game that is timeless. I know that's a cliche, and it's a game where some of the 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 true basics have been in place for so long. Be careful about tampering with too much of that.
0: All right. Last thing I want to ask you, and we would be remiss not to at least bring it up. Is last go round for Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina. Um, Last time the those two and Adam Wainwright will be teammates. Two of them have said they're retiring. Um, Adam Wainwright doesn't seem to have any reason to retire with the way he's pitching. Um, and he's going to be on the brink. He's got 10 more wins to get to 200. Um, it's a round number. It's a nice round number. It also certainly elevates the conversation for him going into Cooperstown. Absolutely. Um, if not with the writer's ballot, then certainly at some point in time with the veterans committee. And he's a guy who, you know, maybe will change the conversation because for year after year, after year, after year, after year, we've talked about the sportsmanship, Clause there on that ballot being used to carve guys off the ballot. Maybe the sportsmanship clause gets a guy on to the ballot for once. Well, maybe there's no maybe he's the guy. Yeah. There.
1: There's no yeah. finer, no finer gentleman in in the sport. Um, as Tony larusso would say, at the very least, he's tied for first. You know,
0: right? And yeah.
1: and he's also so great for the game because look, I thought he was done uh, with the elbow back in you know, 2017 when it was really bad. I thought he was done. Um, He is incredibly, his survival instincts and his intelligence, and even within a season, even from start to start, as we've seen recently, you know, he, no one diagnoses his, his uh, Adam Wainwright's uh, flaws better than Adam Wainwright. He knows exactly where he wasn't good. He knows exactly what he has to fix and he fixes it. And he goes from start to start like a mechanic uh, just taking this old car. And I guess he's an old car. I don't mean that as a put-down because this is actually a, a compliment to him that he's so good at his age. And, you know, he makes a start and he takes the car into the shop and, uh, you know, he gets gets under underneath it and he tweaks this, tweaks that, tweaks that, and then the thing's running good as new next start. I mean, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Um so I hope he continues to pitch, and, you know, that's his decision, but he certainly has the wherewithal and all the tools he needs to pitch at an advanced age, uh, even 41 years old next year. So, look, Pujols and Molina are very, very special because they've always – I think – I don't even know how to ex- dis- describe it because you and I have had a chance to watch one of the great hitters and really great baseball players of all time, all time, and Albert Pujols. And with Yadier Molina, we have had the chance to write about and cover and watch um, someone who is in the, the the inner, inner circle of the greatest catchers of all time, and also someone who um, brings to the competition the kind of stuff that advanced metrics, which I'm a fan of, but they don't cover. They don't give you enough credit for. There are so many things about Yadier Molina that help win a game that do not show up uh, in war or show up in this or that. Um, And then it's easy to sort of downgrade his career, but you haven't been paying attention. You haven't looked at the Cardinals team ERA and where it ranks since he's been the catcher. You haven't looked at all the pitchers that have come through here who have gotten better. He's been the one constant. It hasn't been the manager. It hasn't been one pitching coach. It hasn't been one set of starting pitchers. He's been the one constant, and he makes it better every single year in ways that do not show up at fan graphs. And so in that regard, with Molina, I a lot of his appeal to me is that you can see how great he is, but you can also imagine – seeing him playing in the 1920s and the 1930s and just running the show. Right. Yeah. A a a timeless, timeless, timeless baseball player. And damn, that's appealing to me. You know, we'll never see another one like him. And and that's not, that's a cliche, but it happens to be very, very true. My only thing, Derek, I have to be candid. I, I wish that on the field, it would be going better for them. And I didn't have, High expectations, and and I'm excluding Wainwright from that, but yeah. you know I wish it could be happier in terms of the actual on field performance. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, maybe maybe that's just you know trying to cling to a little bit of a fairy tale. I'm 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 glad that they're here, but it's it hasn't been hasn't been smooth. I guess is the way to put it from a competitive standpoint.
0: Maybe the only way it ends well, or ends the way it ought to be, is with team success, not individual yes. success.
1: And I do believe Albert Pujols is influencing this team in ways that, uh, again, really have nothing to do with his own individual performance. And I just wish he could see more left-handed pitchers. Where'd they all go?
0: <laughs> yeah, this division isn't chock. with them. We've one team in this division that only has one lefty on the, uh, on the roster. It's remarkable. Uh, well, Bernie, we, have, we have made good on our promise with the initial offerings of the best podcast in baseball we would give ourselves a chance to explore topics in deeper, greater um, anecdotal detail uh, without the limits of a commercial break coming up. And we also acknowledge that we would talk too long. So we've done it (laughs) 10 years in, we're still doing it strong. So uh, Bernie, thank you so much for this. Thanks for being there for day one, for, for, for helping come up with the idea of this thing and giving it life and, Thanks for always being there for me. I'm not in St. Louis without you. I mean, that, that that's a story I've told many times, um, and it's true. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in St. Louis. Um, I'm not uh, aware that it's even possible that I could cover the Cardinals without you.
1: Yeah, two things happen on uh, whatever the date was, but the opening day, 2001 season at Coors Field. Two two things. Well, three things happened. Stan, the man showed up unannounced to throw it. And the Rockies said, oh, well, yeah, come in. Um, would you th- like to throw out the first pitch? So he threw out the first pitch, ceremonial first pitch. It was Albert Pujols' first game in the majors. And I, I always like to get into the mythology of that and say Stan was there. He knew. So he was, that was his way of symbolically passing the torch, him showing up for Pujols' first game. Uh, so Pujols made his major league debut. Now, the third thing, which is not as important to our listeners, but it's important to you and me, The third thing is you and I sat in Coors Field in the media lunchroom for lack of a better term and we were talking about you and I was a big fan and you know admired your work and I know how hard you work how talented you are how dedicated you are and I always thought in the back of my head you know this guy would be great to have at the post-dispatch It should be great and we started kicking around some ideas and I was doing the thing of asking you well you know ideally what would you like to do and Oh, your wife's from St. Louis. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and then putting two and two together. So, uh, I, I guess I uh, I knew. I, I guess I could give myself a little credit for, like, a baseball team. I like I made a really good draft pick there by <laughs> recommending to the general manager that they they bring you in. You know, they draft you. So, uh, yeah. no, that that day was very very special for a lot of reasons. So much happened that day. But yeah, that's when the first time, the first time I think you and I thought, well, you know. I think he's going to work for the post-dispatch. I think this can happen. So that was fun. That was that was so much fun. Just yeah. one, one little session sitting there for 20 minutes maybe uh, before the game, the first game of the season out there in Denver. That was cool. And
0: it happened at a ballpark that I visited when it was just home plate in the backyard. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Where I, where I grew up wondering if Major League Baseball would ever come to my doorstep. And here was an opportunity to uh, – to, to chase Major League Baseball well, to it, one of the capitals of Major League uh, Baseball, one of the most important cities in Major League Baseball history. So thank well, you. Well,
1: the Post-Dispatch uh, is – I know they're grateful for your your presence and your work, and, you know, you are in the, the line of all of the great baseball writers and columnists that go back, you know, a century or more, and all of them are in the uh, – uh, the, ba- the baseball hall of fame. And I have no doubt that you will be recognized in that manner, because you have, you talk about passing the torch. I mean, you, that torch was passed to you actually, you know, uh, with Rick Hummel and Joe Strauss. And, but when you took over as the lead guy and you have just, um, you have just uh, elevated the coverage of the post-dispatch baseball with the help of, of all these people that we've mentioned. I'm not saying you've done it alone. You would be the first to say that, but yeah, you, you, you as the number one starter or the cleanup hitter in that lineup, um, you have elevated, uh, a, which would already an incredibly strong and proud tradition of baseball writing at the post-dispatch. So I'm, I'm really, uh, as a friend, I'm, I'm proud of you and happy for you, but as a reader and a subscriber, to the post-dispatch, I'm happy that you're there every day for me.
0: Well, I learned from the best, and what you just said means the world to me. Uh, I'm not anywhere without my mentors. Um, you know, and that's true for players in the clubhouse, um, and that's true in the press box. If I didn't have folks like you and Burwell and Joe and Rick to learn from and – you know, guys who mean the world to me, you know, who cover baseball elsewhere, who have also helped me along the way to show me what's possible. But most of all, to show me what's expected in this town. Holy cow. Uh, right. You know, I, uh, I I wouldn't be anywhere. I'd be well, I'd be coding agate still. So much appreciated <laughs> to, my, sure. to my co-host who showed me too. I could uh, figure out a podcast thing.
1: Well, absolutely, and maybe we'll both be around long enough. And I'm older than you, so I don't know, but we'll be. around I'm closing long the
0: gap, Bernie. I'm closing <laughs> the do, gap
1: to do it. Uh, to do another anniversary show, would be great uh, down the road. Yep, absolutely. We can
0: make this an annual anniversary
1: show. Uh, absolutely, and I again, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to do All it. It nice. meant a lot. It really, really meant a lot to me. It really does. So thank you so much.
0: And here we are in the 10th year of the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. You can find the best podcast in baseball, you know this, wherever you get your podcasts at iTunes. And you can find all the Cardinals coverage from the Post-Dispatch at, well, you know this too, at stltoday.com. 10 years going and this podcast remains as it was from day one. Exactly what the community of listeners has allowed it to be. So thank you for that. This has been a great conversation. That's Bernie Mickless. You can find him weekdays on the Bernie Show, 590 AM. That's also available online. where assume you can read him as you always have for decades now. The biggest, baddest, brawniest voice of sports in <laughs> St. Louis uh, at Scoops with Danny Mack. There is a scoop coming in right now in the background. So Bernie, thank you very much for doing this. That's 590 a.m. Bernie Miklas, one of the great sports writers in America, and he's got to get to that phone because he's got a story coming in. Thanks, Bernie. I wish
1: I did. Thank you, my friend. Take care.